The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 236. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome, welcome to Dose of Leadership. This is Richard Ryerson. So happy you're tuning into the show. This is the show where we focus exclusively on the concept of leadership by bringing on folks to thought leaders, CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs, military leaders, everyday folks, people trying to figure out this thing called life and with an understanding that you can't get through life without leadership because the reality is how well you lead is going to ultimately determine how successful you're going to be. Leadership applies to everything and it's not about Holding the position, it's about adding value to people's lives, being influential. And that's what we talk about here. And hopefully this show is just a part of your leadership journey. It's all the free resources, all the great conversations that we have here at Dose of Leadership. And I hope if you're finding some value in this show, you're taking the time to go subscribe, rate, and review it. Take it on your mobile device, iTunes, or Stitcher. It means so much to me if you could take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. It does so much to keep the visibility of this show front and center in the ever-increasing podcast universe. And again, thanks to all those who've taken the time to do so, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, before we jump into the guest, I want to remind you about my new podcast called Out of the Mud. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher as well, and you can go to the website outofthemud.tv where I have conversations with people with the whole journey about how did you pull yourself out of an adverse situation, because the reality is adversity is something we can't escape in life. And I'm always fascinated about that journey. How did somebody choose? And that's the key word, the choice. You may not like what the situation you're in, but you still have the power to choose. And how did you pull yourself out of that mud? And how were you transformed when you came on the other side? So hopefully you take a listen to that. Out of the Mud is the name of the show. And again, you can learn more at outofthemud.tv. All right, great guest today. Brad Lominick is uh, my guest, and he was, uh, for the past 12 years, or he'd had, he'd been running um, uh, and directing a movement of young leaders called Catalyst. Maybe you've heard of it. I've heard of it through John Maxwell, and, uh, and Catalyst is a great organization. He's in an advisor role into that now. He wrote a book called The Catalyst Leader that came out about uh, about two years ago, a little more than two and a half years ago. And he's got a brand new book out there called H3 Leadership. I love this. This book just came out on September 22nd, but it's H3 Leadership. And the three H's are be humble, stay hungry, and always hustle. I love that. And we talk about that a lot in this, this book. The book is really about um, practical roadmap, if you will, of implementing and living out 20 transformational habits as a leader. 
And Brad is great. I mean, he's, I would love to uh, achieve the level that he has. I mean, he's a lot like me. He's talked to many thought leaders, record conversations with great leaders of people like Malcolm Gladwell, Seth Godin, Tony Dungy, Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, Marcus Buckingham, Dave Ramsey, Bill Hybels, and all of that can be heard on the Catalyst podcast. So I encourage you to go check that out as well. And anyway, Brad is just a great human being, a great leader, passionate about leadership, um, which is a perfect fit, obviously, for this show. And uh, I'm interested to see what you think about this conversation. I really enjoyed it. So happy to be associated with Brad. And uh, without further ado, here's Brad Lominick on Dose of Leadership. Well, Brad, such an honor to have you on the show. Finally, thank you for coming on Dose of Leadership. Yeah, thanks, Richard. It's an honor to be on. And uh, man, thanks for just creating a conversation. I've listened to, the, to your podcast several episodes, and thanks for creating something that's adding a lot of value to leaders. So as a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of what you're doing, and now to be on and get to share a few thoughts is, is an honor. So thanks. Well, that means a lot to me because you are – uh, a fellow leadership junkie like myself, I mean, and you've you've taken it to a whole nother level, a level that I would love to emulate and love to learn from you. I mean, you've certainly talked to a lot of great leaders yourself on your podcast, and uh, your list is very enviable. A lot of people that you've talked to, I still have on my bucket list, so um, I'm glad to know you too and yeah. listen to what, what you've done. And thank you too, and just so you know, for your patience and the rescheduling and all those other things um, that that uh, we've gone through. You know, life kind of got in the way last week. We've tried to do this a couple times, so appreciate your patience with that. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, uh, I've got, I've, I'm in a, I'm in a good place with uh, the weekend because this Oklahoma Sooners did pull out a pretty big game against Tennessee. <laughs> yes, <so>. they did. <laughs> How did you first start to get so passionate about leadership in the first place? Well, yeah, I grew up in uh, just outside of Tulsa in a little town called Bristow. And, man, leadership sort of was in my veins and I guess in my DNA from, from an early age. I mean, I remember, um, you know, elementary school and early days of, of just life always sort of showing up at the front of the line and being willing to step out and, you know, take charge, I guess, in some ways, but also just to – be willing to, to, uh, you know, sort of be, be in the front. And I think a lot of that was my family and, you know, my dad was a football coach in our town and a local administrator of middle school principal. And, you know, I, I, for so many of us, it's always fascinating to me to, to watch the, um, the arc of people who become leaders or feel like leadership is in their DNA, because I, I believe you're both made and, you're both made into a leader as well as you have some DNA that, that makes you a leader. And um, the combination of those is typically what sort of describes or, or shows evidence of that. But I feel like early on I was just – I was sort of thrust into that place where I was expected to be a leader and you know was always running for class president and always you know the captain of sports teams. And um, I just had it in me and – you know, going through school, I always thought I was going to be on the Senate floor. Oh, like really? That was always that was kind of my dream was to be in politics, and um, you know, and and I ended up going a different route. Um, 
partly because I, I connected with John Maxwell about 15 or 16 years ago, and that sort of changed my, I would say, my destiny in terms of the, the leadership conversation. And yeah. uh, at that point, you know, that really became, I would say, like the defining part of who I am as a leader and just being in the leadership space was getting connected to John and, and being a part of his organization and getting to spend some a few years with him and then launching Catalyst all came came out of that. So that's amazing, you know. And, and uh, I got certified with with John Maxwell and got the pleasure to meet him and see him over that three day weekend of, of going to the certification course. And uh, he is amazing because and there's a lot of great leaders, but he is one of those guys that he is who he seems to be. Right? I mean, he's just the, the way you how you see him is how he really is. And I think there's right. a, there's an authenticity to him. And I think that's what's so important. And we use that word authenticity a lot on this show and, and you hear it a lot, authenticity and vulnerability. I do think those are the currencies that's needed, sorely needed in leadership. What's your thoughts on that? Oh man, I listen, I will ring that bell all day long and uh, I'll ring it as loud as you want to, because I, I would say that it's, it is the most important currency um, in today's leadership landscape, especially the idea that, that you are who, um, you are, you're, you're real. I mean, that, that is, is such a simple phrase, like be real, but it's so hard to do, especially the, the further you go up the, the chain of, of authority and power and influence. And the higher we rise in our, in our levels of leadership and our levels of responsibility, the more likely we are many times to move away from, from who we really are because yeah. we start protecting, we start holding on to stuff. We, t- we start uh, uh, surrounding ourselves with people who, you know, who blow smoke up our, up our skirts and up our pant legs. And it, it just, it, you, when you start out on leadership, it's really easy to be authentic because you don't, you're not stewarding a lot. Um, when you're young and stupid, you know, you're, you're young and stupid. And so I just, I agree with you, like watching John Maxwell, you know, both from a distance before I started working with him. And then once I was part of John's team and, and got to, you know, spend quite a few years working alongside him and with him, um, man, we, we, we were passionate about this idea that, that who you are in public has to be connected to who you are in private. And, you know, you have to be congruent between your, your, your public and private lives and all those pieces of vulnerability and honesty and transparency and authenticity have to be the forefront of how you lead. And especially today, Richard, like, like we, we are watching a generation and a, and a culture that if you aren't authentic, you will get found out. Oh yeah. You can't hide. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that you could sort of, you could get away with things. I mean, before the days of social media and, and 24 hour news and, you know, leaders can get away with quite a bit and you could, you could fake it quite a long time, but man, today it's not just good leadership, but it's actually it's part of the the reality of being a leader is if you're living this you know this double standard and you're you are you know you say you're one thing and you're not, and everybody's going to know. So it's not just smart; it's actually effective. And and I you know I would just say to to everybody who finds themselves in a, in a position of leadership, man, um, be willing to not only be self-aware, but also, uh, you know, be willing to, to, to lead from the places of weakness and lead from the places of vulnerability 
because you will your influence will just shoot up the chart. Oh yeah, and it's it's amazing that we even and, and maybe it's because I've talked about this so much, you know, intensely in, for the past two and a half, almost three years on this show. But I mean, talking about the Marine Corps, and we talk about it, you, if you ask somebody, well, of course I'm authentic. But if you really are honest, it's almost crazy that we got to say to be authentic. It's a simple thing as all the masks that we wear, right? It is a, it is something you have to intentionally remind yourself to do. Because even the littlest things, we do wear masks, whether we like to admit it or not. And the moment that you can st- – I think for me the biggest change is the moment I stopped worrying about being wrong, my leadership growth took on a completely different path. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like the moment you stop worrying about being wrong. And yeah. um, I, I know it's different for everybody else, but I, I, for me, it was just I had it ingrained in my mind early on in my leadership career that you had to, as a leader, you you really couldn't afford to make mistakes or you had to be the one with the answers. And God, that is so naive when you think about that. There's so much strength in kind of admitting you don't know, but with confidence, right? In right. And and we, we don't mind being led by leaders who – who are, who fail. Right. Um, we don't want to be led by failures. There's a big difference between right. um, you're a failure and you're, you're a leader who fails. Like leaders fail, but I don't want to be led by a failure. And I don't, want to be, I don't want to be led by somebody who's incompetent. But man, like if you're, if you're failing, but then you're trying to hide it, it, the reality is, is everybody else knows it. And everybody else knows your junk yeah. as a leader way before even you want to admit. And this is this is also reality of if I'm on a team, part of me part of me checking the validation box that says I'm willing to follow you is is if you as a leader are self aware enough to know that the leader I know that I'm following is the leader you think you are. And man, that is so hard sometimes for people because they think Oh, my team, you know, I'm, I'm protecting and hiding stuff from them. And they're like, we already know. Like, we already know the things you wrestle with and struggle with and you're not good at. And, and the, the more willing you are and the quicker you can have that, that um, reality deprivation removed from the, from, from the distance between you and your team, the, the quicker they will respect you. Um, and, we, we, again, we just live in fantasy land so many times as leaders we think – Oh, my team, they don't, you know, I, I can't share that with them. They're, and they're going, we already know. Like, yeah. all we, all we want to know is just <laughs> that, you know, yeah, right? You, you know, the, you know, the, you that we know. And, uh, so man, part of that is just leaning into it and being willing to say, Hey guys, I struggle with this or, or, you know, I'm not really good at confrontation or, or, Hey, I, you know, sometimes I have a hard time executing and they're all just shaking their head going, thank you for finally admitting what we already realized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. You know, people, a couple of things that I've always learned is that people are watching you, even though they're not looking at you, they know. And so right. they can see through it like rice paper. I mean, they can see, if you try to bluff your way through anything, you, you notice it. I mean, you put yourself in on the receiving end, you've You've seen leaders who tried to do that, and it's just like, man, if you would just be honest, open and honest, and admit, we could just move forward and start working on the real stuff. And I just, it still blows my mind that a lot of leaders, especially in corporate arena, they don't get that. They think it's, I'm in the position, I got to be the smartest one in the room, I got to be the one that has all the answers. I can't let them see, see that I'm worried about this or that, that I failed at this. 
And it's just so simple, but it, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why does it still happen? Yeah. Well, and I love what Patrick, Patrick Lencioni says, you know, I mean, he, he's famously said this many times hearing him speak, um, you know, the, the old phrase of never let him see you sweat. And his, his response is, man, just walk in showing your armpits and <laughs> showing that you got stains and, right. and, and, and point at it to your team going, Hey, check this out. Look at these sweat, these sweat stains. You know I mean? That, that's the different posture I think of, of today's leader who is, is confident in, in the things that, um, many of us in the old days would try to hide. And, yeah. you know, there's, I, I think you're, you're hitting on it. Like the reason we still struggle with this is because, because as humans and especially as leaders, our natural tendency is we think that we think that part of our goal in life is to, is to, is to hide the things we're not good at. And hopefully no one will discover us, the true us. And man, that's just a sad life to live. Right. I mean, if, if our whole attendant, if our whole posture and sort of goal in life, when we really get down to the core of who we are and we, we strip away the layers and we, you know, we, we, we give up on, on all the faking and the BS, like, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, man, is my life just, is, is part of, of my identity and who I am now, the only expression of that is that I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to not get discovered. I mean, that is a, that is a really sad life to live. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, but unfortunately a lot of us still are living in that place. And, you know, so man, so much of, of joy in life and, and, and happiness and passion and a sense of, of hopefulness and being on point with your calling and all those pieces that I think we want to get to, would all come so much easier when we we have this this moment of authenticity revolution and just that sense of man from now on I'm 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 real from now on I am I'm not going to try to fake it and it just frees us up to have so much more joy and um, I, I think that's what we're all you know one of the things we're all searching for and hoping for is a life that is full and a life that is congruent so. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I do find it even in corporations. They a lot of times I talk about this, and there is still an element where they think, "Oh, that's crazy." You know, that's just pie in the sky stuff. And I'm right. like, I don't know, man. You got to understand that. For, for me, all leadership it really boils down to it all comes from a place of love. And I talk about that a lot on the show, and and how the Marine Corps was probably one of the most loving organizations. You know, and people think, "Oh, that's crazy." I've even kind of butted head with some mediator Marines who said that. You know, but if I really got honest with them and explained it to it, they agreed. I mean, it is leadership emanates from a place of love. And um, the more that you understand that, the more that it's about adding value to somebody else's life and pouring your life into others and not really expect anything in return and, and understanding that leadership is messy and it's muddy. And yeah, and it's sacrifice, right? It's I sacrifice. mean, that's the, yeah. that's the essence of, of, I think, what great leaders. Uh, live out one of the things they live out is is a, is is selfless sacrifice and a, a servant's spirit and a servant's heart and putting others above themselves and again authenticity vulnerability and honesty is is more it, it it does help you but at the end of the day you're you're moving more towards the ability to serve others because you're now true with who you are right and and you know falseness will will limit you 
every time from being able to truly sacrifice and serve others. Uh, because you're, you're always, it's like, it's like you're, you're just stepping in mud and sand and the mire and you, you never can get any momentum because you're just constantly living in that, living that place of, of discongruence and ingenuousness and, you know, a lack of, of truth. So man, truth will allow you to be a sacrificing self selfless servant leader. Um, but sometimes we don't connect those dots. We think, well, that didn't have anything to do with the other. No, it definitely does. Definitely. It's everything. It's everything. You know, I think in the more too that I've, I've certainly become more, um, spiritual over the last seven to eight years is I've really started to be a steward of leadership. I mean, I've always been passionate about it, but the more I think spirituality has to go with leadership. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, personally, I would say that's true for me. I mean, I would, I would definitely consider myself a, a faith, a faith person, a follower of Jesus. I mean, you know, whatever, however you want to describe me. Um, and that faith for me, um, not only gives me perspective that it is about others, but it also, it also allows me to have um, a sense of, of hope for tomorrow is going to be better than a day. And man, as a, as a leader who has to cast vision, if, if, if we're not believing in something that's bigger than ourselves, right. we're going to have a hard time doing that consistently over time. And you know, not only believing tomorrow is better than today and there's hope in the future, but just that sense that there's a bigger story going on and that we're part of this grand story that, that is being played out, even if we don't understand it, you know, God's great story. And so, yeah, I, man, I am, I'm with you on that. And I, I think there's all of us, I mean, there's something within all of us, not as just as leaders, but as humans that, that we realize we long for that, for that place in the story that not only we find our, our role in it and our purpose, but also we realize that it's bigger than us. And I mean, this is true. Like when you, when you think about the, I would say there's a calling crisis um, for many of us, especially in the corporate world. But in general, like a lot of us, if we, again, if we, if we really are honest with ourselves, we have, we, we haven't really ever discovered our purpose, our true purpose. And, you know, part of discovering your true purpose is, is realizing that that you've been wired and created uniquely for for something specific to accomplish, and I believe that's God breathed on all of us, and and we all have a, a specific calling on our life. And man, when you find that, and you know, I've heard people call it different things. You know, the the sweet spot or that place where your strengths and calling, your strengths and 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 gifts and passions all come together. When you find that, man, that is like the place where we come alive. Um, and I, again, I think that's all part of God's story within each of us, moving towards that place of, of true calling. And I mean, would you say you found that for oh, yourself? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying resonates with me deeply because I, I and that's part of what I try to get across in, on this show and everything that we do and, and with the coaching is that I do believe that. You know, in my case, in our case, that God put something on your heart, and for years, I think, and I look back and I and I replay those elements where, or those times in my life where I've been most alive. It was those moments that I listened to that voice, and I, 
and I was probably most afraid and had mm-hmm. a lot of resistance and a lot of, you know, self-doubt and limiting beliefs telling me I shouldn't, couldn't, that's crazy. But if I work through it, that's something profound happening on the other side. And I do believe that God puts that on your heart and that it's kind of your, I look at it now, I say it's an obligation to, to work through it. And if it's, if there's fear involved, if there's resistance involved, then that's a pretty good barometer that you probably should be doing it. I, I strongly believe that. And I think yeah. that that resistance, whatever you want to call it, and you work through it and you sit down and you do the work anyway, then Providence is going to move too. And I think that, that the, the not doing it and kind of sitting in the fear or the stagnation or the mediocrity, um, that's exactly where the resistance wants us. And I, and I, I think it's our obligation to fight through it. I, I, that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, it's interesting, like when you think about um, th- this issue of calling, like my, you know, my grandfather sort of won one, one job or one company for 40 years and whether he loved it or hated it, it was, it was sort of a means to an end. And, um, and my father kind of, you know, fueled off of that. And then my generation is sort of, we've, we've been willing to sort of look around and go, wait, man, should, should I really have that sense of true purpose that comes from what I get to do eight to five and my vocation? And now like you look at the average 25 year old today, who's going to, walk into the, into the world, whether they're working in, you know, the nonprofit world or business church, whatever, um, they're going to have 10 to 15 different assignments because they feel a tremendous sense of freedom, almost like a free agent to go and, and pursue different projects until they find that sweet spot. And I'm not, I'm not sure any of those are right or wrong. I just know that there's been this major shift among and this is really important for leaders to understand is that you've got a whole new generation that they're it's not they're disloyal they're just they feel a they feel a freedom to to say hey you know what I tried that project for a couple of years it really doesn't it really doesn't fit for me I'm going to go try something new yeah and I, I agree with you I you think know I, I, I this is just a new reality I'm not sure it's right or wrong I don't I don't I'm not trying to be the moral police on it. I just know that it's true. No, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I think it's the reality of what we're faced with. And I, it, to me, it's exciting because I, I don't. I mean, I'm with you, and I've seen that generation, like you said, in in a lot of ways, that whole kind of industrial Frederick Winslow Taylorism type mentality mm-hmm. is still stuck with us, and I think it's what's kind of kept a lot of people stagnant. I, you know, I struggle with this because I look at my father who. Um, was a great man, very simple man, great, and you know, just the best dad you can think of. And but he was, I remember his. If if I had to say that he had a calling, if you will, it was it was woodworking. It was working with his hands. It was creating things. And I struggle with this because he had an opportunity, like you know, like why don't you start it? Because he and he would have been great at it, but he just liked the security. He liked the, you know what I mean. He didn't like change. Yeah, and so I don't want. On one hand, I don't want to criticize him because he he was completely self aware of who he was, and may and there's a part of him that said, you know, no, I'm not going to do that because it makes <clears throat> makes me nervous. I like the security things. I like the simplicity things. You know, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to make mistakes. And there's a part of me that says, would he have had a more passionate life or more fulfilling life? Not that I mean, he was. He was, he loved us he loved the grandkids he was the best grandfather you could i mean he was just an awesome guy integrity just 
everything. Solid man. But there's yeah. just, there's still a part of me after he's just like, God, would he would he had a more fulfilling life if he had pursued his calling, you know? And I don't know. I hate to, I hate to say that because he was such a great man, more of a man than I am in so many ways, if that makes sense. But well, I, th- I think I think in that case, it's a better best, right? I mean, it's it's a there he 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 had a he had a true sense of skill set and passion for for woodworking. Um, you know, he 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 was probably moving towards that. Um, on a consistent basis, whether it was vocation or whether it was a hobby, right. and um, and much much of what's happening today, I would say, is that is that we have a whole new generation that says, I, I'm not willing to let this only be a hobby. I want it to actually be my vocation, and right. so vocation now is so across the board of the options are completely wide open, and means you know means to an end in the, in the past generations was, Hey, I'll, I'll go work at this job because it is a means to an end. Uh, I'm, I'm showing up there to get a paycheck and I'll pursue my real passion outside of that. And so, you know, it's, I think that the, 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 the interesting thing about the whole, this whole calling revolution or at least revival, I would say in, in pursuing your purpose at all costs is that, um, You've got a lot more people who can now control their own destiny. Yeah, and um, again, this is a this is a concern for a lot of companies because the old days of of being being uh, convinced and confident that your that your workforce, you know, your your employees will stick around because you've given them a job. Right. That that's just that 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 kind of mentality is 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 not going to create a great culture. No. Um, anymore. Mm-mm. And so, you know, you watch what's happening with Apple and Google and Facebook and like they're all <laughs> they're all competing now for the experience of the of the of the of working at their company, right? right it's right. not just about what you do, it's about what else is happening around you with laundry on site and volleyball courts and you know, free food and and community that that all has to factor in. So, it's just a whole new day, which I agree with you. I'm excited about it, um, and I, I just I want people to always move towards what they've been designed to do. And yeah. If you're moving towards what you've been truly designed to do, um, you know that's that's always going to be a good thing. Yeah, only good's going to come out of that. I agree with you, and I think that I do think that's an obligation of ours. I mean, I think that I think you have to pursue that. It's almost like if that's the calling and that's what your purpose is and, and you know, at least finding it, trying to explore it and find out what it is and it changes throughout yeah. your life. It's a, it's never one thing, you know, for a season, this, what you, what you should probably pursue and do that. I think you should, because you shame, I, I get, I get a tread lightly here, but I, it's almost like I say shame on you if you don't pursue it. You know what I mean? You shame the angels almost. You well, know? and you know, for me, like my, uh, when I was 21, um, I felt a real sense that the phrase for my life, the calling statement for my life was, was to influence influencers. And that wasn't like some, you know, I, I, it just kind of came to me and I'm sure there's been other people who've had that sense of calling on their life. But, um, for, for now for four different seasons of career, that has been true. Like, and that was four different, completely, uh, different things. I mean, I worked on a guest ranch in Colorado. I, I was a management consultant. 
Um, I was in the event space. I, I was in a magazine. I did a magazine for a few years and then working with Maxwell and Catalyst. Like, and when you look at those, it could have felt very schizophrenic. Like, Lominick, what are you doing, man? You're bouncing all over the place. But I can see, looking back, this consistent sense of that I had the opportunity to live out my calling of influencing influencers through all those different um, seasons of assignment. And I think that's a really good perspective to, for people when, you know, because if, if not, then all of a sudden, when I stepped out of running Catalyst a year and a half ago on a full-time basis as the president, my life could have been shattered. Like I've lost all sense of identity, all sense of, of who I am, you know, like I, uh, nobody wants to, I, I don't know who I am anymore. And I'm like, no, that was just a, that was a chapter of my calling. And it's not the whole book. There's, there's more to the book that will get played out. Um, but a lot of us, you know, we have these identity crises when we think that that job is, that one job is like our calling. And if we lose that job, then all of a sudden our life's over. Like, no, that, that, you know, that's just a season. And we're going to have multiple seasons of assignment that all then reveal and fl- reflect our calling. And I think that's just a way healthier way to look at it. Um, because it gives you more flexibility and freedom to say there's this can change over time. I don't have to feel like it, there's only one right answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, I I look back at where I was in college if you replay it it's like a lot of us and, and I love what you said influencing and influencers. Because the thing that drives me crazy is and I say this because this was me is like, I did things for the better part of my life. There were those moments, like I said, where I listened to my gut and my, in the calling and I pursued it and, and great things happen. But it's those times when I was doing things that I was, this is what I ought to do because it's expected of me. Mm, you know, a, sim- yeah. a simple thing of like, well, I changed my major because it'll be a better chance to get a better paying job. Even though the major I changed to really wasn't a passion of mine. Yeah. And those are the type of things that I really want people to avoid. You know, it doesn't, and what I heard and what you're saying there is, is you you don't have to be, you know, you're the author of this great story. You know, you don't have to be put into a box. And, and, and I do think the message we get from society, from the people around us, from the people that really love us the most, we, we, we get fed this story that we have to play within these certain parameters and I'm not saying that everybody has to be a lifestyle entrepreneur. That's not what I'm talking about, that they need to go travel the world and do a backpack and do this. And I mean, you got to take care of your responsibilities and do things. And maybe you got to sacrifice that dream for a while, for a season to do a certain thing, you know, whatever. But I, I just don't think you should limit yourself, like you said, to like, well, I got to get the job at IBM and get the, at the gold watch in 50 years. That day is died a long time ago. That yeah. Is, that, it, is, that is not a reality. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's so much of our, you know, so much of our, our pedigree and sort of our story, um, as you said, we're the, we're the author of our story. So much of our story many times is written by other people and expectations that have been put on us by parents, by friends, by, um, by the culture we grew up in, by our circle of, of, of identity, you know, whether you grew up in a, you know, you grew up in the inner city or you grew up in the, in the fancy suburbs, like all that plays into what am I supposed to do with my life? And 
most of us, if we're honest, when we show up at college or we show up in those places in our early 20s where we're supposed to sort of figure that out, have no clue. And, you know, we've, we've got to just be willing to, to let the process in many ways um, play out in order for us to truly come to that place where we go, man, this is, this is my sweet spot. Yeah. And I don't think, I think most of us find it um, in, our, in our 30s and maybe 40s. And a lot of times, you know, the, uh, the, the reason midlife crisis has happened so much, especially for men, is because they, I think many times they, they realize that they've, they've missed the window and now they're going, how can I ever give up what I've built in order to pursue what I've been designed right. for? That's a great insight. You're absolutely right. And man, that is tough. Like, because all of a sudden there's this tension of, of I know what I've been, I know what I've been made to do, but there's so much to lose in order to pursue it. And you know, that that's, you, you have to take all, all the, um, all the factors into play and into your decision. But man, if you can move towards it again, I mean, I love John Acuff's story yeah. of, of, you know, he, he started pursuing his, his dream job while he was still doing his day job. And so there, there's ways to go after it. You may not, you may not be able to just cut ties and drop everything and go, all right, man, I feel called. I, I've always wanted to be a pilot. So I'm, 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 canceling the rest of life and family yeah, right, and kids right. and and honey go figure out how to make money but i'm gonna go pursue my my dream job like well yeah okay because god's telling that me may, to right yeah <laughs> it may not be the that may not be the full story yet right no i i i love what you're saying there i mean that's part that's what we're doing here i mean i still have a day job as as a pilot but so much has changed in three years just from the pursuit of this podcast and everything else and I think that's the the part that I want people to understand is like at some point you just have to listen to that nudging mm-hmm. and and see what happens. And if you move, the universe has to move too because you're going into a completely different space, right? And if you stay stagnant, if you stay, I think that's where the resistance wants you to be. And I and I think you just got to push through it. Yeah, and and you know, courage is courage truly is that. Um, that fuel that gets you to the other side yep. of the resistance, and man, so many times we're we're so scared of it, of even just making that decision. But yet, once we get on the other side of it, we think, "Wait, why didn't I do this before? Why? Yeah, yeah why did I wait so long?" Because it's the anticipation of the event. I mean, that just shows you that it doesn't really it it, it isn't a tangible, real thing. Fear isn't real, even though it feels real, because the anticipation yeah. of actually. You know, the old cliche example of, you know, wait, you're more worried about the ride up the top of the helicopter or the, the um, roller coaster. You know, right. the anticipation yeah. of get, standing in line is far worse than the actual drop in the ride. And the same thing with jumping out of an airplane, I'm sure. Something I never want to do, but I mean, it's the thing, you know, they always, the heart rate is highest in the, yeah, before you jump. Before you yeah. jump. But when you jump, it's actually your heart rate goes down and you're actually enjoying yourself. Well, and 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 especially leaders. Like leaders, I've found that a lot of leaders are way better at helping others jump. Right. And they they tend to to hesitate for themselves to jump or to to make that decision or to overcome fear. 
because again, they feel like they're stewarding um, more, and most of the time they are stewarding more. Um, but you know, part of part of what helps you to help others in overcoming their fears is what you you need to listen to your own advice, and you need to, you know, many times to um, to look at again, that, that other side and go, man, it's, it's not as scary as I thought it was. Um, yeah. But you know, the more you steward, the harder it is to, to adjust. Yeah. And the more you, more responsibility you have, the harder it is to make that, or to be willing to change. Yeah. So a lot of this, we talk about, I'm assuming a lot of this is in uh, your great book, the catalyst leader that came out a few, a uh, couple years ago, 2013. Have we hit on a lot of stuff in the catalyst leader, the eight essential traits? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that book is um, is is both my story as well as the Catalyst story, and then you know the eight essentials. Uh, one of those being courage, one of them being uh, often authenticity, uh, passion is one of those. You know, I mean, we've we've hit on several of the of the eight, and you know they're not the only eight, but for for us that was when we started Catalyst. You know, these eight essentials for becoming a change maker. Those were kind of our, I would say, our defining. Um, the defining characteristics that we wanted to try to build into the leaders that were showing up at Catalyst events. Right. And, you know, so every, every theme and every, every speaker, every sort of um, session or anything we, we did was always trying to hit on one of those eight. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, like the, uh, you know, the leaders, leaders can't just be good at one. Like our scorecard has to be a cumulative scorecard of leadership, and man, if you're if you're really authentic but you have no courage, or you have tons of courage but you're living a fake life, or <laughs> right. you know you're you have you have no you have no competency and you're not good at what you do, you know all these things have to fit together and work together to make a true change maker, um, and you know leadership's hard. Like that's yeah, that's why. That's why you're called to a higher standard as a leader is because it's difficult. Yep. Easy to understand, but difficult to put into play. Oh, man. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, any, anybody who's led or is leading is shaking their head right now going, yes. Yeah. I, I agree because, you know, people are, are leading people is really hard. And that's what leadership is. I mean, I can, I can lead a system and I can, I can put together a process. But when you add the people component to it, which every organization, there's no organization I know of that doesn't deal with people. Uh, yeah, you know, right. that, that's the part that's difficult about it. And, um, you know, the great leaders are the ones who know how to navigate and know how to deal with those things. And they're willing to work through the hard mess. As you said earlier, like leadership is messy. It's messy. And I think that you have to fall in love with the fact that it is messy and it's muddy. And, and the sooner you can stop kidding yourself that, well, it's, you know. It's smooth. It's all this and that, and we. I'm not saying you want it to have, you know, bring you know, gasoline to a fire and make it chaotic, but understand that it is a messy endeavor, and um, and don't get frustrated when because it's messy. Yeah. Well, and, and uncertainty is. I mean, I've heard Andy Stanley say this many times. Um, the reason you have a job as a leader is because of uncertainty. Yep, that's the only reason why you have it. it uncertainty that's, is job security for a leader. You got it, man, and and. So when I hear that, I go, well, what does that mean? That means my job is to bring, my job is to bring certainty then to uncertain situations and it's yep. to bring clarity to 
areas where there it's not clear and it's to bring vision where there is no vision and it's right. it's it's uh, I'm filling the gap and you know if you're a gap filler in that way then you're doing your job well and you know people naturally this is so true in every environment and every every example I've ever seen of uh, of a leader doing their job well um cuz people say well Brad how do I get people to follow me mm-hmm. like what what is the what's the essence of 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 being that kind of leader that everybody goes, man, I will, I will charge the hill for them. It's because you've done those things. You've brought clarity and you've, you know, you've, you've dealt with uncertainty and you've cast vision and all those pieces are the, you know, those are the different keys that you have to use to unlock the door of leadership. And everybody wants to take the shortcut, right? I mean, the shortcut to leadership. Okay. What do I have to do to like, and I, I think we're seeing some some of this showing up in in certain places. You know, uh, I love social media, and I love I love the media in general. But many times we watch people elevate themselves to the to the top of the of the you know sort of the the sound bites of our culture, and we look at them and go, "Well, they shortcut the process, so why can't I?" And I'm like, "Well, at the end of the day, that's like I'm not sure that's the." That's the model we're going for um, because, it, because you have to be so consistent, disciplined, willing to work through the grind, get your, fa- get your hands dirty. You know, the process is, is the, the thing that defines you as a leader and that you're, every day you're blocking and tackling yep. of bringing clarity to places where there is no clarity and bringing certainty to uncertainty and bringing vision to where there is no vision. So, man, yeah. be, be – be really encouraged if you're in that grind right now and you're hearing this. Yep. Just be encouraged that you are in the right spot. That's the right spot to be. It's in the grind. And it's the you know, it's the calm. I always call it the four C's, the calm, confident, consistent, and courageous. If you can be the if you can focus on being those four things, you're well on your way to at least making a dent in the leadership universe. You know, it's not about charisma so much. The natural, authentic charisma can come to me if you if you kind of focus on those things. If you if you can be the calming force in the storm. If you can, like you said, the consistency, have the confidence to kind of paint the outcome. And and I think you maniacally got to just paint. This is how it can be. And sus- right. suspending the belief on how things are going to get done, just know they're going to get done. That's the confidence piece that I always want people to, to, to latch on to. And just know that it's going to get done. You don't know how, yeah. but you just know that it will. I think right. a lot of that's where the faith paints in being part of something bigger than yourself and Hey, we're part of something bigger here, you know, and, and having the ability to pull yourself back and look at the bigger picture and ask the questions, well, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the outcome that we want to see? That's to me is what leadership is instead of kind of, Oh, we got to rework the plan or we got to do this. And we're just looking, we're not looking, you know, a day out. Let's look five years out, you know, and like, what, where do we want to be in five years? Whatever, at least have the big picture. So you got a new book coming out, H3 Leadership, uh, Be Humble, Stay Hungry, Always Hustle. I love that. We've been probably hitting on some of that in this conversation too. Tell me about the genesis of that book and what it's about. Yeah, um, man, I'm excited about this book because it's, it's you know, Catalyst Leader was really, um, the way I would describe it, it was sort of the, you know, the, the corporate handbook. Yeah. Uh, and, and H3 is really more the playbook. It's the, it's the practical this is what it looks like to go put it into practice. And so hustle, hungry, humble, those three H's 
man, when I, when I describe my leadership mantra or my leadership sort of the essence of, of what I want to see in somebody on my team, that, those are the three H's I want to see. Yeah, I love and, that. Um, humble, obviously, meaning it's not about you. Yeah, who am uh, I? Hungry, mm-hmm. hungry, that posture that says, man, I'm willing to I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm never good enough. Like I always want to be a learner and then hustle – just that sense of how do you live it out and what does it look like to, you know, the, the posture of, of the hands and feet and the sweat and the toil. And, you know, the, the thing about those three H's is that I know a lot of leaders who are really humble and I love being around them, but they have no hustle. Right. And I know, I know some leaders who have a lot of hustle and have no humble. And, you know, you got to make sure that those three legs of the stool are equally in balance. Um, and, you know, so, that's the reason for the title is just because it's been my leadership mantra for many years. And, you know, part of the book is really diving into um, the, those three are these big categories of then habits that have to be played out yeah. on a consistent basis. And so everything about the book is practical. I mean, I, 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 there's probably, gosh, uh, with 20 chapters, there's probably 150 at least really practical bullet points throughout the book that are kind of based on my own experience and the leaders I've been around. Cause that's the kind of book I want to read. I want to read something that I can go, Oh, this is actually implementable. I, I can, I can do this today. Um, so that, that's the kind of leader I am. And, and this is a dirty, this is a dirty fingernails type. Yeah, I love book. it, man. I'm excited to read this. I mean, you're actually right. I mean, it's like, you know, you want a leader that's willing to work hard. Someone's going to get things done. And then the humble piece, make sure it's not about you. It's never about you. It's always about them. Oh, I love that. It's just a simple combination. Yeah, and, and part of it too for me is I, I really want to redeem the word hustle. Um, I just I think the hustle kind of got it got it got hijacked by by culture and a lot of people, especially in the in the faith community and the they were like hustle, Brad. We yeah, like you're. I'm not sure that's a good thing. I'm like, no, it's a great thing. I I love being. Uh, being called a leader who hustles because that means I'm willing to get it done. Yeah. And I'm willing to execute. And man, I would, I just think again, in today's culture, leadership space, if you can't get it done, it's, it's what's the point? Yeah. And, and the old days of, well, you know, that's not my job. I'm not, I'm not an executor. I'm a, I'm a, I'm only an idea guy. Yeah, well, you're not going to last very long no. in, in the, in the day of the entrepreneur. It's all about execution. Yeah. So, man, Seth Godin is like my hero yeah. in terms of oh, what it. he says about, you know, you got to be willing to ship and and the, the person on your team who is always the most valuable is the one who can take a project from start to finish yeah. and cross the finish line. So, Amen to uh, that. you know, young, I, young leaders are always like, uh, how do I gain credibility? I'm 24 and I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm trying to move up the ladder of influence. I'm like, whatever you're working on, just kill it and get it done. And then go ask for more and then get that done. Do and then just keep getting it done. If you get it done, if you, if you take things to completion across the finish line, your stock will rise. You don't have to be the smartest. You just got to be willing to, to, to make things happen. So, yeah, you know, it is amazing that it, that is almost an epidemic too. I see it's, and, and we do a lot of talking and I'm like, man, it's almost like the ex, the executors are so few and far between. Right. And, and, you know, this is the, I mean, think of all the organizations that have projects 
that are half baked. Oh yeah. Sitting on the sideline that somebody spent a lot of time on and probably a lot of money on and intellectual capacity on. And you know, that's, that's actually disheartening over the, over, over a course of time when you have a team that you built a culture that says, well, we'll, we'll just, we'll just start a lot of stuff. Yeah, and never finish it, and that that could be really demoralizing oh, to yeah. an organization. And you got eight project managers in each one of those projects too, or project, right? Know, yeah, chasing KPIs and everything else, and it's like, oh yeah. my god, we're having meetings upon meetings to discuss. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Brad, I'm excited about this book for sure. I can't wait till it comes out. It comes out on September 22nd. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, September 22nd. Yeah. Man, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Um, well, thank you. Hopefully it'll be helpful and, you know, man, everything I'm about and two books into it now, uh, if, if it's not helpful, it's not worth it. And man, there, there's way too many books. Otherwise yeah. it's same thing with conferences. Like yeah. if you're going to be in the conference business and in the conference world, make sure you're creating something that's actually helpful. Yeah. Uh, Cause otherwise you're wasting your time and everybody else's. Yeah. Well, gosh, you know, we coming up on, 50 minutes here. I'm always curious about, and you, I was looking at your website and you kind of answered this question. I always usually spring it on people because I like to see their natural reaction. You're going to be prepared for this one, but I always like to ask people, you know, if they had that one night where they could invite five people alive or dead and just have this kick butt conversation, who would those five people you'd invite to dinner? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've been asked that lots of times and I, I usually actually end up giving different answers. And and I have answers on my website, but I'll just I'll, I'll go with like what my gut is feeling right now. Um, and I was actually with an organization a week ago in Michigan, and with their staff and doing some staff development stuff. And they were asking this question to everybody, and we went around the room, and and my answers were way different than like a week before that. So <laughs> I'll give you the ones that are I'll give you the ones that are top of mind. Very um, good. Uh, I would I would I would definitely have uh, John Lasseter at the table right now who is the you know one of the founders of pixar oh cool yeah. uh, i just believe pixar is like one of the most fascinating companies of the last 25 years um so john lassiter i would love to have i'm 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 showing i'm showing i'm revealing my creativity mm-hmm. uh component right now i would love to also have johnny ive from apple who is is pretty much the designer of every apple product that has been made famous over the last 15 years. So he's, he's been the chief designer at Apple since Steve Jobs came back and the Apple revolution started. Um, and then I'll throw in a, um, uh, a person who I really admire um, and have always admired like over the years of, of, of leadership and, um, that's Jim Collins because I want to yeah. have Jim there just to like bring some, bring some, uh, some perspective on, on mar- the marketplace and management to the table. So I've got Jim Collins, I've got Johnny Ive, I've got John Lasseter, and I think my fourth one. If I have four guests, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably go with Tiger Woods. And the reason I want Tiger there is because I want to I want him to talk about this last two or three years of failing. Yeah. And like, what's he learned? And, you know, you've, you've walked, you've gone from the, from the, 
from the penthouse to the outhouse, and that's not true, but like you've gone from the top of the food chain in, in this world of sports to now arguably like trying to work your way back in. So tell me some lessons from that. That would be good. So that's, that's, that's a, that's four, that's four men. So this is a, this is like a boys club thing. If you ask me another time, I would probably, uh, give you like a mixture of men and women, but those are the four I'll go with right now. I like the list. That would be interesting. On your website, you had Bono. I, he's, he's actually one I've had on my list for a long time. I'd love to interview Bono. Oh yeah. Well, and that's, that one, that one's always there too. I, I, he's, he's fascinating to me the as somebody who has, um, not only been a rock star, but also figured out, I think in a, in a very healthy way, like how to leverage his, yeah, I agree with platform, you. Yep. Um, for, for the good of others. And, you know, he's been really consistent with yep. his focus on poverty and, and working with lots of different people from lots of different, uh, sides of, of, of issues to accomplish some things. And, I, I, I just love the way he brings people together. I do too. And I love that he's, he's a huge uh, proponent of capitalism now. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's evolved and um, he's like, you know, you want to solve poverty, you know, bring capitalism to. A- yeah. It'd be, it'd be fun to, uh, I've, I've always wanted to, to think about that question in terms of like, who would you want to, who would you want to have on a tour bus yeah. for like six days straight? And, and you, you know, you got 12 spots. And because there's, you know, there's 12 bunks in the, in the tour bus and who would you bring with you? So maybe I can throw Bono into that one too. Cause yeah. there's more places. That's awesome. Well, Brad, this has been a fun conversation for me. I hope you got some value out of it yourself. I mean, I know my listeners did listening to your story. I'm anxious for them to have links to uh, when the book comes out, H3 leadership. And of course the catalyst leader, which is always available on Amazon as well. Um, encourage everybody to go out and read that as as well. Um, anything else you want people to connect with you and find you and uh, learn more about you? Well, I'm, I'm at all the, uh, social media outlets, just my name at Brad Lominick, L O M E N I C K. So, and my website's that same name, Brad And, um, man, I'd love to connect with people. You know, if people have questions or I'm, I'm usually pretty good about responding to folks. Uh, you know, if you want to email me, it's, it's, uh, just my name at Gmail. So I'm, I, I, I don't get, you know, tons of emails, but if, uh, if people want to connect, that's an easy way. I'm just, I feel like, you know, this is part of my platform and part of my reality is, is, and the same with you, Richard, like we've, we've learned some stuff and part of our transition of leadership and effective succession of leadership and and legacy of leadership is you pass on what you know. Yeah. And so many of us, we, we start thinking, well, like I'm a big deal and you know, I'm not approachable and you got to go through like 12 assistants to get to me. I'm yeah. like, whatever. No, man, like this is the greatest day ever of being able to connect with people Absolutely. through technology. And so, man, if I can try to connect with somebody and help them, then that's my goal. That's how I feel too. Amen. You're, you're, Man of my own heart, Brad, I'm so glad to have met you. I look forward to working with you, collaborating with you, staying in touch. And uh, like I said, I'm so happy you came on the show. Well, thanks, man. I'm honored to be on, and and, uh, anytime I'll come back. So look forward to it. Thanks, Brad. 
Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.